The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. The healthcare fight isn't over yet. This is Thursday, June 29th, 2017. Thank you very much for listening and for supporting this show when you use and bookmark the Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. As of this moment, Obamacare is still the law of the land. But this isn't over yet. After choking on health care this week, everyone presumed the senators in Washington would be preparing to board planes to get out of town for their annual 4th of July break. The House is also off next week and probably looking forward to the break more than the folks in the Senate. Republican senators going home to angry constituents who finally got a look at the latest Republican plan to repeal and replace Obamacare. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell had kept the plan under wraps and scheduled a vote without setting aside time for much debate about the pros and cons. But then a scorecard on Trump care came back with frightening news. If Trump's right about the House bill being mean, the Senate bill is meaner. Not unlike the House bill, the Senate's plan would throw 22 million people off health care insurance, 15 million just in the first year. Premiums would only go down after they'd gone up again. The Senate plan would greatly raise premiums for seniors and make insurance unaffordable for millions with pre-existing conditions. In the unkindest cut of all, it would slash nearly $800 billion from Medicaid, the biggest health care insurance provider of them all. 75 million Americans, enough to populate more than half our 50 states, would lose their coverage under the plan Republican leaders hoped would be passed when the senators returned to D.C., Medicaid covers half of all births in this country and 40% of all children and 60% of all disabled kids and 75% of poor kids. A new study says expanded Medicaid in Michigan improved health and job performance there. The Senate bill was panned by the American Medical Association, AARP, and others. The latest Republican plan also gives a $600 billion tax break to the rich. In the campaign, Trump promised to protect Medicaid. Now he supports a bill that slashes it. The plan also cuts over $400 billion from the Obamacare tax credits that make insurance affordable for so many. The Senate vote on this latest repeal and replace effort will occur after this week's vacation, and Republican senators will get an earful when they try to ride in those local Fourth of July parades. Protesters on foot and in wheelchairs have raised their voices in red and blue districts across the country, and that will only increase in the next week or so. And that would seem to dim even further the chances Republicans will ever pass a health care bill, because it may be impossible to please the party's moderates and those on the radical right, and the party needs both to deliver this promise it's been making for eight years now. Moderates find the bill too mean. Raging conservatives think it's not mean enough. Obamacare light, they call it. After Mitch McConnell announced the vote would be postponed till after the break, CBS News counted a dozen Republicans opposed to the bill. McConnell admitted the bill needs work. Understatement. A new poll from NPR shows 55% of Americans disapprove of the latest Republican plan, and that includes two-thirds of all Republicans. But then mixed signals went out. McConnell seemed to say he'd never be able to unite conservatives and moderates in his majority and that he would turn to Democrats to help him fix a struggling system. No, said Trump, who believes he can win over the doubting Republicans. And then McConnell announced he would have a new bill to give to the Congressional Budget Office for review by tomorrow. 
one McConnell hopes will still get through before the next congressional vacation in August. He did this at the request of the White House, which called in all senators Tuesday night to tell the two sides to work it out. McConnell's already given big chunks of the revised bill to the CBO so it can quickly be ready to handle the changes. The Republican leadership is still working to repeal and replace Obamacare. The latest, latest plan may be out in time for the lawmaker's return. McConnell's taking notes from the White House on possible tweaks, something he did not do with the Senate bill that spectacularly collapsed earlier this week. He's also listening to Republicans' objections one by one to see what tweaks can be made to win their votes. Nine or ten senators who would have voted no on the first draft out this week will be hearing from Mitch McConnell. And the resistance will be ready to greet their senators over the Independence Day break and to make clear what they will and will not stand for. So far, protesters have spoken more loudly than Republican leaders, despite the party's control of the House, Senate, and White House. 160 days into the Trump administration, no major legislation has been passed. Sears disappears. Sears says it's closing another 20 stores, two more Kmarts, and 18 more Sears stores. That brings the total to 260 closings planned for this year as Sears struggles to stay alive after losing well over $2 billion last year. Stores will close in California, Rhode Island, New York, New Jersey, Maryland, Ohio, Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Kansas, Texas, Louisiana, and Florida. Nearly 1,100 Sears and Kmarts are still standing. In Mike Pence's Indiana, 600 carrier jobs are moving from Indianapolis to Monterey, Mexico. Those are among the jobs that six months ago Trump promised to save through a deal he'd worked out. Trump said he'd save substantially more than 1,100 jobs, that 1,100 was, quote, a minimum number. In a headline-grabbing trip to the carrier plant, Trump promised the workers a good Christmas. He didn't tell them the following Christmas would be miserable. And 400 of the jobs Trump claimed to have saved were never going away in the first place, according to company officials. Half the company's union members will soon be out of work as workers in Mexico take over jobs from which Americans had hoped to retire. Quoting one of the men who voted for Trump based on those campaign promises is one of the workers soon to be jobless in the aftermath of Trump's splashy campaign visit. Trump voters are also waking up to reality in South Carolina, where Trump told Boeing aircraft workers, as your president, I will never disappoint you. Jobs is one of the primary reasons I'm standing here today, said Trump at the Boeing plant five months ago. Believe me, he said, I will not disappoint you. Boeing says it will now lay off over 200 workers from its South Carolina plant and that it plans even more job cuts. In Michigan, jobs at the Ford Motor Company are not going to Mexico. They're going to China year after next. Trump had promised to punish companies that export jobs to make the bleeding stop. He'd proposed an import tax on cars and air conditioners made outside the country by American companies. But that tax would have been passed on to consumers through higher prices, so the punishment didn't happen, isn't happening, and probably won't. The kind of winning Trump promised we'd grow tired of isn't working out. In spite of that, the country's adding jobs at a reassuring clip. Unemployment's the lowest it's been in 16 years, down to 4.3%. There are, in fact, 6 million job openings that haven't been filled because employers can't find qualified Americans to fill them. Quite a change from since Obama took office eight years and five months ago. 
The stock market continues its venture into dizzying heights with corporate optimism higher than it's been in 20 years. The market surge is fueled by optimism about Trump's plans to ditch government regulations, including some that promote safety and health. And while Republican lawmakers do not support some of Trump's budget plans, they do support him on deregulation. The United States Supreme Court appears to have taken a right turn that's been expected since the election of Donald Trump. Saving its conservative swing for the last day of the session, the court went out with a triple bang on this last Monday in June. When it returns in October, the court will take a closer look at Trump's Muslim travel ban, but for now it's letting much of the ban go forward. The court okayed states giving some tax money to churches. And the high court also agreed to hear the case of the Colorado baker who refuses to make wedding cakes for gay couples claiming it's about religion, not discrimination. On the Muslim ban, a partial version of it goes into effect at 8 o'clock this evening, along with new personal electronics restrictions on incoming flights, and the ban remains in effect until the high court can rule on its constitutionality this fall. The court has not yet disagreed with an appeals court ruling calling the ban a violation of the First Amendment's religious rights and separation of church and state. The Supreme Court has also not yet disagreed with another appeals court, which ruled that Trump had exceeded the authority that's granted to him by Congress. The Supreme Court's decision on that point could be a major decision about what this and future presidents can or cannot do. Both these rulings will be considered this fall. But the fact that the court let only part of the Muslim ban go into effect is a defeat for Trump, since he was hoping for a rubber stamp of approval from his conservative justices. Based on the court's ruling, people from six mostly Muslim countries will be able to come and go from the U.S. provided they have a job here or go to school here or have relatives here. The approved part of Trump's ban only affects tourists. And it's important to remember that Trump has said he only needs the ban for 90 days, during which time he intends to beef up the screening process for people coming into this country. And that 90 days will be long over by the time the court returns on the first Monday of October. Speaking of church and state, the Supreme Court also gave a thumbs up to Missouri and other states, doling taxpayer money to churches in certain circumstances. 36 states, including Missouri, have laws that forbid the government from spending any public money on, quote, any church, sect, or denomination of religion. A Lutheran church in Missouri wanted a piece of the state money that was up for grabs to rubberize the surfaces of playgrounds to make them safer. The court had to find a balance between protecting the separation of church and state and not discriminating against religious people when the issue is, for example, safety. And the court has also agreed to hear this fall the case of the Colorado baker who says his constitutional right to practice his religion is violated by a state law that says he cannot refuse service to anyone based on race or sexual orientation. Lower courts have ruled the baker would not be going against his religion simply by following the law that requires all customers to be served equally. Jack Phillips refused to bake a wedding cake for a gay couple, but he also refuses to make cakes for Halloween or anything else with which he disapproves. He argues those folks can buy their cake somewhere else just as black Americans could eat at some other lunch counter in 1966. The court declined to hear a challenge to California's law restricting the public places in which guns can be carried, putting off a decision about whether the Second Amendment applies outside a person's home. What didn't happen was the half-anticipated retirement of Justice Anthony Kennedy, a moderate on the court, 
That keeps the conservative nature of the court where it is. If Kennedy had retired, Trump could have named another conservative. But Justice Neil Gorsuch has already proven even more conservative than expected based on that flurry of rulings on the court's final day. Pretty good imagination, right? Asked Donald Trump while addressing his supporters in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Good, he asked. My idea, he answered. Imagination is what it would take to implement Trump's ideal, especially since the usually cooperative Republican Congress has no intention of funding that Mexican border wall that Trump supporters chanted about last summer. Trump's latest plan is to pay for the wall by using it to generate solar energy and then selling that electricity. This way, he explains, Mexico will have to pay much less money, and that's good, right? Since Mexico has also refused to pay for the wall, it's unclear what Trump means by repeating that it will. Some of the contractors submitting bids for building parts of the wall have already included solar panels in their designs, assuming the wall would ever be built. Six months ago, the Justice Department would be all over Texas's plan to outlaw sanctuary cities, but that was six months ago. Today's Justice Department takes a different view. It's invested itself in defending the state's plan against a lawsuit filed by multiple Texas cities and towns in a case that got underway Monday. The new Texas law goes into effect September 1st with the blessing of the federal agency that would have fought it six months ago. Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who now heads that agency at the pleasure of Donald Trump, says supporting the Texas law is part of the president's commitment to keeping America safe, especially since Trump's own executive order against sanctuary cities has been blocked by a federal court. With the world's sixth biggest economy, the state of California is instituting its own kind of travel ban. It's banning its state officials from making California taxpayers cover trips to Alabama, Kentucky, Texas, and South Carolina. Those four states have passed laws allowing discrimination against gays as adoptive parents, as foster care parents, or as school organizations. Quoting the Golden State's Attorney General, when California said we would not tolerate discrimination against LGBTQ, we meant it. Fake news can be dangerous. Fake news plus guns is even scarier. We found that out with certainty in December when a man carried loaded guns into a Washington, D.C. pizzeria because he believed that's where Hillary Clinton was running a child sex ring. Conservative extremists and conspiracy hounds had gobbled up the fake news, which came from, among others, radio talker Alex Jones. Jones has also called 9-11 an inside job in the Sandy Hook massacre of young children a hoax. 29-year-old Edgar Madison Welch of North Carolina had heard enough and cowboyed up. He drove more than four hours to D.C.'s Georgetown neighborhood armed with a 38 handgun and an AR-15. During the drive, Edgar recorded a farewell to his daughters in case he never returned. And then he arrived and burst into the shop to free the poor sex-abused children who never existed there. Edgar fired three shots with his assault rifle, even though Hillary Clinton wasn't at Comet Ping Pong Pizza that morning. The pizzeria's employees learned the cost of fake news that December 5th, they were traumatized. And now Edgar Madison Welch also knows the cost of fake news. He will spend four years in prison and has to pay nearly $6,000 in restitution. Welch apologized to the victims during his trial, saying, I'm sorry for everything I caused. He's now off to prison for up to four years. Alex Jones continues to spew his theories protected by the First Amendment and supported by listeners who want to believe.
Thank you for listening. And I don't mean that in the radio guy, hey, thanks for listening way. I mean, thank you for remaining engaged in an era in which only one in three Americans has faith in the integrity of journalists. Donald Trump launched another attack on the news media this week. Several legacy news outlets, but most especially CNN. CNN found itself in a tough spot when it found that a story by its new investigative unit had used only one source, one anonymous source. That doesn't live up to the network's own standards or the standards of any legitimate news outlet. The reporter on that story and his immediate supervisor, who's an editor, and the head of that new investigative unit have resigned. CNN pulled the story off the Internet, announced it had retracted the story, and apologized to Trump's friend Anthony Scaramucci. That retracted story said Scaramucci was connected to a Russian investment firm that was connected to Trump. With no corroboration of that one anonymous source, there is really nothing to report. Scaramucci accepted CNN's apology, calling it a classy move and adding that everyone makes mistakes moving on. The three journalists fired by CNN for violating parameters were not slouches. One is a New York Times veteran who won a Pulitzer Prize. The other worked for USA Today and Newsday for three decades. The executive editor who had to leave had just moved to the investigative unit from CNN Money. But neither CNN nor journalism walk away from this with a clean slate. What about all the other phony stories they do, tweeted Trump. He posted a meme that turned the CNN logo into FNN for fake news network. Logically, a fake news network would never retract, apologize, or ask for resignations. But the attack continued, with White House spokeswoman Sarah Huckabee Sanders calling it a disgrace to all of media, all of journalism. A reporter in the back shouted, what you just did is inflammatory to people all over the country who look at it and say, see, once again, the president's right and everybody else out there is fake media. Sanders responded by saying that if anything has been inflamed, it's the, quote, dishonesty that often takes place by the news media, the Trump-Russia hoax, in her words. The people who make up the media are fighting mad. The White House correspondent for the Sentinel newspapers told Morning Joe, we are bullied and browbeaten every day, and I pretty much have had enough of it. We can't take the bullying anymore. Trump continues to slam the media at his rallies, preaching to the faithful choir. Time magazine has asked Trump's golf clubs to remove from their walls a cover from that magazine dated March 1st, 2009, featuring a photo of Trump. But Trump wasn't on the cover of that issue. It's badly photoshopped using a photo of Trump from a previous issue. Some of the headlines on that cover, on that framed cover, are real. The ones praising Trump are not. Time has now asked the Trump Organization to remove the phony covers that are proudly on display at seven of his facilities. Up next, the world loses faith in the U.S. Black Americans continue to lose faith in justice. The Trump-Russia investigation. And a comment from Bob Seska after this. A smooth, clean shave from a blade that feels expensive. It comes straight to my door at half the cost of the big-name brands. That's what I love about shaving with products from Harry's. From the hefty balanced handle that fits your hand to the precision-engineered five-blade cartridges that come with a trimmer blade, a lubricating strip, and a travel cover to Harry's rich lathering shave gel. It all started when two regular guys named Jeff and Andy got tired of getting ripped off on blade prices. 
One big company in particular relentlessly jacked their prices and made a fortune while we all spent a fortune. Jeff and Andy wanted to fix shaving, so they started by cutting out the middlemen. They bought their own factory, one that's been making blades for over a century, so now they can ship top-quality blades straight to you. The result? Quality products at your door for half of what you've been paying. Half. And that's the Harry story. Be part of it. Jeff and Andy are so sure you'll love their products, they want you to go to harrys.com right now to try their new shave set absolutely free. It's a $13 value, but all you pay is the shipping. Sign up at harrys.com slash R-E-L-M. And because you listen to this newscast, Jeff and Andy will even throw in a free post-shave balm. But only if you log on to harrys.com slash R-E-L-M. It was just in this past week when we learned that Russian President Vladimir Putin had given direct orders to use a cyber campaign to help Donald Trump hurt Hillary Clinton and undermine confidence in the American election process. The Washington Post reported a week ago tomorrow that President Obama found out about Putin's order last August, well before the presidential election that fell to Trump through the Electoral College, just as Putin had hoped. Suddenly, the same Donald Trump who had called the Russian attack fake news and the Trump who refused to do anything in response to that attack, except to lawyer up, now has a believer because he had someone else to blame. He tweeted that by doing nothing, it was Obama who had colluded with the Russian attack that Trump had refused to previously acknowledge existed. But Trump was wrong about what Obama did or didn't do and why Obama didn't do more. What Obama did was order U.S. intelligence to plant cyber bombs in Russian computers that could be set off at any time in retaliation or self-defense. Whether or not those cyber bombs are ever used is now up to Mr. Trump, who has apparently done nothing to protect the U.S. from future election attacks by Russia or any other bad actor. Obama had also ordered Homeland Security to offer to help states defend themselves against cyber attack. A number of states refused that offer of help. The Obama administration had also noted a flood of requests for visas from Russian tech guys seeking temporary work permits in the U.S. for the months just before the election. The Obama administration denied all of those requests. He expelled three dozen diplomats and took back buildings being used by the Russians here in the U.S. and stepped up sanctions against Russia again. Obama warned Putin to stop. Our CIA director warned their FSB director to stop. Even some of Obama's staff do think he could have done more. But they also point out that by that time, Putin was already inside what we now know is at least 21 state registration systems and that Putin could have escalated his attack with the cyber bugs he'd already planted. Obama didn't want to cause that. The hacking had already gone on for a year at that point. Any public action Obama might have taken would have been seen as partisan toward Hillary Clinton, who appeared to have the election sewn up, until the Russian theft of her emails and that October surprise from James Comey. Congressional investigators say they will work to keep the Russians from intervening in next year's election and in the next presidential race in 2020. By the way, Sarah Huckabee Sanders also said yesterday, when asked if Trump would run for re-election, of course he's running. Last night, Trump held a fundraiser in which he raised $10 million for himself and other Republicans. Among the latest lawsuits against Trump is one from a citizen's government watchdog group that wants him to tape his White House conversations. 
Trump revealed last week what many suspected, that Trump was again bluffing to put pressure on the public testimony of former FBI Director James Comey. Trump had previously tweeted that Comey, quote, better hope there aren't any tapes. Comey responded in testimony saying, Lordy, I hope there are tapes. In a he said, he said exchange over whether Trump had demanded a loyalty oath from James Comey. Trump's tape tease also briefly raised hopes there might be recorded conversations pertinent to the Russia investigation and specifically fired National Security Advisor Mike Flynn. Now, the National Security Archive and that watchdog group, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, have filed a lawsuit against Trump accusing him of violating the Presidential Records Act by not keeping records on White House conversations. The lawsuit also demands that he start doing so. This citizens group is also suing Trump for violating the emoluments clause of the Constitution, financially enriching himself by using the office of the presidency. Now, speaking of tapes and public documents, here's Salon.com writer Bob Seska. Thank you, Buzz. Before we move along to the next frantic episode of wildly damaging maneuvers by Donald Trump and his masked henchmen, I'd like to circle back to the tapes matter. Yes, that again. Frankly, I'm not sure why we're all acting as if Trump's tweet about not having any tapes is the final word. In case you missed it, last week Trump denied having tapes of his conversations with former FBI Director James Comey, tweeting that he doesn't know, quote, whether there are tapes or recordings of my conversations with James Comey, but I did not make and do not have any such recordings, unquote. The general reaction throughout cable news and the political internet was basically case closed. Trump confessed he didn't have tapes, so it's time to move along to other concerns. But at the risk of sounding conspiratorial, I can't help but to ask, why are we taking Trump's word for it? Why are we accepting his response as factual? Has Trump given us any reason to believe his screechy pronouncements? He's a pathological liar who exists in the eternal now. He doesn't care whether his remarks make logical sense, much less are truthful. All he cares about is extricating himself from the Trump-Russia scandal by any means possible, including obvious lies, abuse of power, witness intimidation, and obstruction of justice. In fact, I wouldn't be shocked in the slightest if destruction of evidence was added to the list of Trump crimes, specifically regarding the tapes. When Trump first tweeted the possibility of tapes back in May, he might have also been lying. Or not. But given that he blurted the existence of possible evidence in an ongoing series of investigations, including a criminal investigation by the special counsel into possible obstruction of justice, it would seem as if the pursuit of such evidence would be germane to the investigation, wouldn't it? Of course it is. The question of tapes, however, has been sidetracked by two things. First, as I said, there's the inexplicable acceptance of Trump's tweets about not having recordings, which seems awfully trusting given his serial lying. Second, there seems to be a common misconception about the idea of tapes, assuming an elaborate Nixonian voice-activated recording system inside the White House. Given modern technology, there's really no need for there to be a hard-wired recording system to record private meetings. If Trump wanted recordings of his conversations with Comey or whomever else, all he needed to have done was to use the voice memo feature on his still-unsecured Android phone or the equivalent on a staffer's iPhone. Or he could have just used a digital voice recorder. Really, any handheld device in existence today has the capability to record digital sound files, digital sound files that are easily deleted with a single touchscreen command. The upshot here is that no, there probably aren't literal tapes. 
There might not even be digital files anymore, given how easy it is to delete audio files from a handheld device. That leaves one bit of evidence still in existence, the devices themselves. There's a photograph floating around social media of Trump sitting behind the Resolute desk in the Oval Office with not one but three handheld devices, including what appears to be an Olympus voice recorder and two phones, one of which is clearly an iPhone with the voice memo screen showing. From what I've been able to determine, the photo was likely taken during an interview with the Associated Press and reporter Julie Pace back in April. I'm not sure why Pace would need three devices to record the interview, but sure. Another photo of the interview shows a fourth device on the desk. Regardless, this is all to illustrate that Trump is accustomed to having recording devices nearby and that he has access to his own recording device, his Android phone, for instance. It's also fair to assume that Steve Bannon, Reince Priebus, Stephen Miller, or other members of Trump's inner circle have devices with voice recording apps. If Trump made any recordings, they'd most likely be on a device that Trump or his closest staffers have access to. So why aren't congressional investigators and the special counsel, not to mention the FBI, demanding the devices themselves? We don't know for sure whether they have, but if they haven't, they should. From what I understand about digital forensics, it's entirely possible to recover deleted files from any hard drive, even if investigators only find partial remnants of files on the drives, and if the timestamps on those files show any recordings post-January 20, it'll prove that recordings were deleted during Trump's time of office, which, at the very least, would be a violation of the Presidential Records Act and, yes, possible destruction of evidence. The bottom line here is for investigators to get their hands on those devices and to ignore any grandiose visions of a sophisticated recording system inside the White House. If the devices show nothing, good for Trump. But if there's any evidence of secret chats between Trump and whomever else regarding the Russian attack, we deserve to know about it. And justice must be done. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thanks, Bob. Catch him every Tuesday and Thursday on The Bob Seska Show here at RealmNetwork.com. I'm very proud to be one of the regular guests on that program. And now, Jared Kushner has also lawyered up in the face of the Russia investigation. Unlike his boss-slash-father-in-law, but like Vice President Pence, Kushner has landed one of the best lawyers available, Abby Lowell, who represented Clinton, Jack Abramoff, David Petraeus's friend Jill Kelly, John Edwards, and P. Diddy, to name a few. Father-in-law Trump has hired three attorneys, none of them especially qualified for something like the Russia investigation. And why would Kushner need a best-in-the-business lawyer in addition to the high-powered personal attorney he already had to prepare for the Russia investigation? Let us count the ways. 1. 1. Kushner met with Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak before the election and didn't report that on his security clearance papers to work in the White House. During the transition at the investigation of Kislyak, Kushner also met secretly with a different Sergei, Sergei Gorkov. Gorkov is head of Vinesh Econom Bank, which isn't really a bank. It has no assets. It doesn't have a banking license. It's a bank in name only. That's two. U.S. intelligence has known for a long time that VEB, as it's called, is a front for Russian intelligence and spy recruiting. All of VEB's executives are ranking Russian government officials. When VEB's number two man went to prison for spying, VEB covered his legal fees. The head of that bank met with Jared Kushner during the transition, and Kushner didn't report that meeting either. Three. There's something else we now know that Jared Kushner did not disclose. 
Kushner did not report on his security application that just before Election Day, he got a $285 million personal loan from Deutsche Bank, which is a bank. And it was at that same time that the Justice Department was considering criminal charges against Deutsche Bank for its part in a $10 billion money laundering scheme involving Russia. Jared Kushner took those meetings and that nearly $300 million personal loan at what would seem to be an unwise time and didn't report any of it. So Jared Kushner has lawyered up. Without a doubt, former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort has good lawyers. It was either on their advice or pressure from federal investigators that prompted Manafort to finally register this week as an agent for a foreign government. He isn't anymore, but he was for two years, paid over $17 million from the pro-Russia party that was in power in Ukraine up till 2014. Manafort was a consultant to that Russian-backed political party. That's perfectly legal, but the law says you have to register in advance to be a foreign agent. Manafort didn't register before, during, or for a long, long time after. It wasn't until a legacy newspaper reported on Manafort's other job that he finally announced in April he had registered as a foreign agent, right after Mike Flynn finally registered as a foreign agent retroactively for Russia. But Manafort really wasn't even registered when he said he was. Manafort waited two more months before he did anything. He handed in the signed papers on Tuesday of this week. Like Jared Kushner and Mike Flynn with the Russians, Manafort kept his dealings with the Russian-Ukrainian government away from U.S. government eyes. Both Flynn and Manafort were each forced to resign under scandal. Having gotten two weeks' notice, Sergei Kislyak leaves this country with a lot of interesting experiences to remember. The meetings with members of the Trump campaign leading up to Trump's election victory. The Oval Office meeting with Trump in which Trump spilled top-secret intelligence and bragged about firing that nut job James Comey from the FBI. Kislyak, as he heads back to Russia, will recall how Mike Flynn got fired after keeping secret his meetings with Kislyak. The outgoing Russian ambassador, soon headed home to make way for his replacement, will remember how Jeff Sessions had to recuse himself from the Russian meddling investigation for keeping secret his meetings with Kislyak. You'll remember Obama taking back those two key Russian facilities that were apparently used as field headquarters for the cyber attack on American politics, and he'll remember Trump giving those compounds back. As Russia's ambassador to the U.S. for the past nine years, Sergei Kislyak saw a lot of things he will likely remember, including the political chaos he now leaves behind. U.S. intelligence ranks Kislyak as one of Russia's top spies and spy recruiters. The new guy is Anatoly Antonov, who's been Russia's defense minister and currently its deputy foreign minister. The man in the middle of this firestorm over Russia is leaving the U.S. in just a couple of weeks. With crises around the world, how does the world view Trump's ability to handle them? Dimly. Less than a third of the people in more than three dozen countries believe he will do the right things. Only three in ten of the civilized world citizens expressed confidence in Trump in a survey, a scientific survey, by the Pew Research Center. Most of the world disapproves of Trump's policies overall. 76% disapprove of his border wall. Nearly that many disapprove of pulling the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Accord. And over 70% oppose his attempts at a Muslim ban. 
True, more than half the world sees the current U.S. president as a strong leader. But much larger majorities describe him as arrogant, intolerant, or dangerous. And Trump is more popular than Obama in Israel and Russia. Fewer than one in four of the world's citizens have confidence Trump will do the right thing when it comes to international affairs. 22%. In the Obama years, that confidence was nearly tripled that at 64%. The Middle East views Trump even more dimly than it viewed George W. Bush. In Sweden, confidence in the U.S. fell from 93% with Obama to 10% with Trump. That's an 83% drop. Confidence fell by 75% in Germany and the Netherlands. French confidence fell by 70%. Trump, by the way, has just accepted an invitation to visit France on Bastille Day, July 14th. He should get quite a greeting there. In Canada, confidence in the U.S. president fell by 61%. Half of Mexico had confidence under Obama. Now that's down to just 5%. And this survey wasn't just designed for Trump. Pew's been doing it for the past 15 years. Remember Bernie Sanders? Sanders and his wife Jane have now lawyered up after reports they are under FBI investigation for bank fraud. Jane Sanders was president of Burlington College from 2004 to 2011. She's reportedly suspected of distorting the amount of money that had or hadn't been donated already when, through her, the college applied for a $10 million campus expansion loan. There are allegations Senator Sanders may have applied pressure to the bank to get that loan approved. Sanders denies both charges and says the accusations came from the vice chairman of the Republican Party in Sanders' home state of Vermont. Sanders called it pathetic when wives and families get attacked. Our veterans want the VA to get better, not morph into some chain of incorporated medical facilities. Trump's budget sets aside over $104 billion for VA medical facilities, but a sizable chunk of that money would go to private companies, helping the VA catch up and stay caught up in its backlog of cases. Veterans and some lawmakers want the VA to expand and improve itself to handle the surges of vets from wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other Middle East hotspots. Veterans worry the Trump administration is using the VA's Veterans Choice Program to push vets into privatized health care. And they worry the VA has not been transparent about how much it will spend on that outside care or for how long. They want to know what's going to be cut at the VA to fund these privately owned medical facilities. Veterans want the Veterans Administration to side with them instead. Trump has signed into law a bill passed by Congress that makes it easier for the VA to fire bad workers and to protect whistleblowers like the ones who exposed that deadly waiting list scandal. The prosecutor in Cincinnati will now have to decide whether to go after former cop Ray Tensing for a third time. This past week, a second trial ended with a hung jury, unable to either acquit or convict the ex-officer after the killing of 43-year-old Sam DuBose, who'd been traffic stopped. That stop turned confrontational, and DuBose tried to drive away. The former cop is white. The dead man was black. The second jury deliberated for 30 hours over five days and ended with a nearly even split. And now a frustrated prosecution has to decide whether to go for that third trial. Three veteran Chicago police officers fired no shots on the night one of their own shot a black teenager in the back 16 times 
and continued firing even after the kid was down. But those three longtime officers are now accused of the felonies of helping to cover up their comrades' deadly overreaction. Two of those officers have resigned. The shooter was charged with murder and remains on unpaid suspension while he awaits his trial. He's pleaded not guilty, saying he feared for his life. Laquan McDonald was shot to death nearly three years ago as he had turned away from the officers, not headed toward them, as all of the officers testified. Some dash cam video proved those four cops were lying about how a black teenager had met his end at the age of 17. In Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the late Alton Sterling's family is suing that city for the wrongful death of Mr. Sterling. Alton Sterling was shot to death by a police officer last year as he stood outside a convenience store selling homemade CDs. Sterling was shot six times as he reached into his pocket during a scuffle with two officers. Sterling's family blames the city for inadequate training in de-escalation and for not obeying a court order to hire and train more African-American officers. And a black man in Florida who worked as a handyman is out of jail now, three months after doing nothing illegal when he was arrested. Carlos Cash was pulled over by police in March for a traffic infraction. The officer spotted white powder on the floorboard and collected a sample, and his field test indicated it was cocaine. And Cash had been busted for cocaine before. Cash, who, as a handyman, installs drywall went to jail for white powder, waiting 90 days for the results of the official crime lab analysis of the white powder, which proved to be drywall dust. Cash remained in jail those 90 days because he was on probation for a prior charge, and that makes a prisoner ineligible for bail. Quoting Carl, I sat there 90 days knowing I was innocent. For the record, Police field tests for cocaine also test positive with nearly 80 other substances, including household cleaners and acne medicine. A lot of people have gotten nailed over faulty roadside tests. Some people have felt so trapped by the discovery of a powder that they knew was not cocaine, they pleaded guilty even though they were innocent. The Houston Chronicle last year found that happens about 100 times a year. By this time next week, we should know the outcome of the trial of Joe Arpaio, the highly controversial sheriff of Maricopa County for nearly a quarter century. His admirers call him the toughest sheriff in America because of his intolerance for undocumented immigrants. And now, after jailing so many, Arpaio may be going to federal prison for up to six months. The charge is criminal contempt of court. He's already failed to beat three civil contempt charges. Civil contempt is unintentional. Criminal contempt is intentional. Arpaio boldly refused a judge's order to stop the racial profiling he used to try to weed undocumented people out of Phoenix and its suburbs. He had been ordered to stop doing the jobs of federal immigration officers, and he refused. Quoting an immigration advocate, his legend will be that he destroyed our community and got busted for it. On Tuesday of this week, they proudly unveiled a brand new monument to the Ten Commandments on the grounds of the state capitol in Arkansas. On Wednesday, a man who believes that's a violation of the Establishment Clause of the Constitution drove his car into that brand new tablet and smashed it to bits. He was arrested, and it wasn't the first time. 32-year-old Michael Reed has been arrested before in Oklahoma 
for destroying its commandment statue. There's still a Ten Commandments monument on the Capitol grounds in Texas. The Supreme Court ruled that's okay, since the Judeo-Christian commandments are, quote, the moral foundation of the law. It's hackers versus the world and vice versa. It really started last week when hackers targeted both houses of the British Parliament. That attack hit the lawmakers' email accounts, but thanks to tight cybersecurity, no actual damage was done. One party leader in Britain said it indicates, quote, just how vulnerable we are to cyber attacks. And then the stakes got a bit higher earlier this week as a ransomware attack hit 2,000 government and private servers around the globe. Food and drug companies in Europe, energy companies in Ukraine, a Russian bank, an airport, and FedEx here in the U.S. were all hit. No one's sure where it came from or what it means since most of the damage has been undone after ransom demands of just $300 in Bitcoin this time. At first, the attack was thought to come from cyber criminals, but some experts worry it may have just been a dress rehearsal for a more ominous attack. On the plus side, a cybersecurity researcher says he's found a way to disable the Petya Not Petya ransomware that was used in this week's attack. He calls it a vaccine for Microsoft Windows computers, the machines most vulnerable to such an attack. Look online for a fix from a company called Cyber Reason. The third highest ranking official at the Vatican is taking a leave of absence to fight sexual assault charges. Vatican finance czar Cardinal George Pell will leave his post as a top advisor to Pope Francis to return to Australia to appear in court in about three weeks. An Australian prosecutor has accused the cardinal of historic sexual assault offenses on multiple victims. Pell denies the charges and says he's kept the pot of up to date on the status of his case. Pell admits he failed to take action on a pedophile priest who carried a gun and once stabbed a bird in front of children, but Pell says he didn't act because he wasn't aware of it. One man says Pell sexually abused him when that man was 12 years old, a charge that was never proven. Vatican observers say it's likely Pope Francis insisted on Pell's leave of absence. The politics of fire. Is your sunscreen trying to kill you? The State of Teenage Lust, Digging Dolly, and all the fun stuff in the third and final segment, up next. It is very, very important that you show your support for this newscast by doing as much of your shopping as possible through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. You'll end up right on your very own Amazon page and get the same great prices you always do. If you believe in what we are doing here together, it's extremely important. You go to buzzburbank.com. Click on that link, then bookmark the page and make it one of your favorites. Whether you're already a Prime member or you're shopping Amazon for the first time, going through that link even just once helps sustain this program. Amazon has nearly everything you need right to your door in two days or less for Prime members. I can't say enough about how much I enjoy Amazon Prime Video, which comes with the Prime membership along with music and books and more. And please, use my Amazon link if you make purchases for your office, school, church, or some other organization. I know some of you already do, and thank you so very much. And if Amazon's not right for you, you can also support this program by clicking on the PayPal button just below the Amazon button in the upper right corner at buzzburbank.com. As America becomes more diverse than ever before, the population of Caucasians in the U.S. is getting older. For the first time in American history, more white people are dying than are being born, according to a University of New Hampshire study. 
And new Census Bureau figures show that while the white population has increased by a half percent over the past year, the Asian population increased by 3%. That's six times the increase among whites. The numbers of Native Hawaiians, Pacific Islanders, and Hispanics were up by 2% each. The Native American population grew by nearly 1.5%, triple the increase among whites. The number of African Americans is up by just over 1%. And the Census Bureau says the number of older Americans is up since baby boomers started hitting 65 six years ago. Just in the past few years, the nation's average age rose by nearly three years from 35 in 2000 to 38 last year. And America's baby boom is expected to last for many years, further increasing the elderly population. Baby boomers make up just over 15% of the U.S. population, That percentage is double the world average. The face of the country and its voters is changing. Water is great for drinking and great for recreation. When it's clean and safe, the Trump administration has started rolling back Obama's clean water rule that protects about 60% of the fresh water in the United States. In fact, the EPA's anti-EPA director, Scott Pruitt, has published a statement announcing his intention to, quote, redefine the phrase, waters of the U.S. Again, redefine waters of the U.S. Trump's called the clean water rule a massive power grab. Pruitt says he plans to return the protection of rivers and streams or not, over to the states, much to the delight of real estate moguls, farming industry moguls, and conservatives who agree with Trump on that power grab claim. Environmentalists will be filing more lawsuits. When did forest fires become political? It was recently on the American History Timeline. These days, everything seems to raise political controversy, including the Bryan Head Fire in southwest Utah. About 10 days ago, a landowner was burning off some weeds in hot, dry weather. The winds kicked up to about 30 miles an hour. The wind carried the flames into a forest where the wind fanned those flames into licks 100 feet high, consuming nearly 50,000 acres so far. It's still burning, as currently the biggest wildfire in the U.S. Now nearly 1,500 people are fighting the blaze using over a dozen helicopters and over three dozen fire trucks. Still, the fire's only 10% contained. In the meantime, nearly a dozen places have been evacuated. Enter the politics. A Utah state representative says the Bryan Head fire can be pinned directly on environmentalists. Quoting Representative Michael Noel, When we turned the Forest Service over to the bird and bunny lovers and the tree huggers and the rock lickers, we turned our history over. He says a local ban on the logging industry allowed beetle-infested trees to die and dry and burn. Noel says not logging will cause the loss of the very things environmentalists want to protect, soil, wildlife, and scenery. Environmentalists called his argument misleading and accused the lawmaker of exploiting the fire to try to fool the public. Quoting the head legal guy at the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, the truth is that climate change, drought, and wind play roles in the severity of the fires. It's shameful, he adds, that Noel would seize on the dire straits folks find themselves in to fan the flames with his rhetoric. We know how this fire started, but there were forest fires before there was man, often sparked by lightning. It was brush thinning by Mother Nature. With the introduction of mankind and man-made global warming, 
though fires have become bigger and more frequent. Fires rage as well in New Mexico, 7,500 acres, Nevada, nearly 5,000 acres, and Arizona, 12,000 acres, and a fire that's tripled in size over the past couple of nights. The governor of Arizona has declared a state of emergency. The weather in that part of Arizona this week, 101 degrees, 33-mile-an-hour winds, and a humidity of 3%. And it's not even July or August. A U.S. attorney says Barry Cadden put profits over patients that he perpetrated a massive fraud that harmed hundreds of people that he knew he was running his business dishonestly but kept doing it to make sure the payments kept rolling in. Now, says a federal prosecutor, Barry Cadden will have to pay for his crimes, which include using contaminated drugs, the wrong drugs, and expired ingredients. Barry's dirty and sloppily run drug compounding company fungally infected over 750 people in 20 states after they'd taken injections of his drugs. At least 76 of those people died. The CDC stopped counting the deaths after a year. The Justice Department calls it the biggest public health crisis ever caused by a single pharmaceutical product. As they will ask in an upcoming television news promo, is your sunscreen trying to kill you? The ingredients in sunscreen may be perfectly safe, so long as you stay out of the pool. This commonly used sunscreen ingredient, avobenzone, does a great job of absorbing harmful UV rays. And having been deemed safe, it's also used in moisturizers and lip balms and has been for 30 years. But new research shows that avobenzone doesn't stay safe, breaking down into dangerous chemicals when exposed to a combination of sunlight and water, especially chlorinated water. When avobenzone meets sun and swim, researchers say it breaks down into other chemicals, including acids, aldehydes, phenols, and benzenes, some of which are extremely toxic. They're now checking to see what happens to the chemical when it's exposed to seawater. Other studies will be done to check the veracity of this one. We now also know that it's sunscreen that's killing the coral in the Virgin Islands' Trunk Bay. A marine biologist has been on St. John for the past 12 years trying to figure out what was killing the coral. It wasn't sewage or the usual industrial chemicals. And then a local pointed out the sheen on the surface at sunset after swimmers had returned to their rooms for dinner. The tourists, man! That rainbow sheen on the surface was sunscreen that had washed off the tourist bodies. The offending chemical turned out to be another widely used sunscreen ingredient known as oxybenzone. That marine biologist says sunscreen is now the number three killer of coral as more of our reefs disappear. The workers at American Airlines will eventually get new uniforms again. As I reported at the time, Workers had begun filing complaints about those uniforms, the ones the company adopted back in September. Ultimately, 3,500 workers complained of suddenly feeling tired, getting skin rashes, headaches, and other odd side effects. American Airlines owner finally relented and ordered that the search begin for a new uniform supplier, a search it says could take two or three years. American is including the flight attendants union in the search this time, the current uniform maker, Twin Hill, denies there's anything dangerous about its fabrics. Passings and passages. 
Gary DiCarlo has died at the age of 75. He was the lead singer for Steam when it had a number one hit in 1969, Na Na Hey Hey Goodbye, to Gary DiCarlo. And the iPhone was introduced 10 years ago today, now with over 1 billion sold. Guys may think they want to have sex like a teenager, but be careful what you wish for. A new study finds most kids in high school are not having sex. It's less than half, and it's been less than half for more than 10 years, says Dr. Cora Bruner, pediatrics professor at Seattle Children's Hospital. In the 15 to 19 age group, it's 42% for girls and 44% for boys. Three out of four girls say they gave up their virginity to a steady boyfriend. Only 2% said they'd had their first experience with someone they just met. Boys were three times as eager, but still only 7% had their first experience with a new friend as opposed to a steady. In the 80s, 60% of boys and 51% of girls reported being sexually active. But the 80s also brought AIDS, and that number's been trending downward ever since to the new low level it reached in 2002, and it's remained there now for 15 years. About one in four young couples use both condoms and pills to prevent disease and their other big fear, pregnancy. Teen birth rates are also now lower than they have ever been. It's summer in Europe, and the male of the species has taken to wearing dresses and skirts, light, airy skirts. It's because some places have banned men in shorts. Gripped by a heat wave, some bus drivers in France refused to wear pants because the bus company had banned shorts in its dress code for men while allowing skirts on women. The buses have no air conditioning, but the drivers now do in the form of an upskirt breeze. The bus company says it will reevaluate its policy, but may go with a lighter weight version of the regulation long pants. In England, Joey Barge wore a nice pair of shorts with a dress shirt for his job at a call center during a heat wave. It wasn't like he was meeting the public. It's a call center. He was quickly sent home in violation of that company's dress code. He returned to work in a black dress with pink and orange stripes, expecting to be sent home again. They didn't make him go home and change this time. They gave Joy the option to either keep wearing the dress and work or go home and change into the traditional shirt and long pants. Joey finished the day in the dress. And at a school in England, the boys at a secondary school were told they could not wear shorts during a heat wave. The boys went through channels to try to get the school policy changed, but the answer was a firm no. No shorts. They're not in the school's uniform dress code. What is in the dress code is plaid skirts. So dozens of boys returned to school wearing the same plaid skirts as the girls. Their parents often helped make that happen. Some of the boys even shaved their legs on the way to school using ladies' disposable razors. Most of the boys were allowed to finish the day in skirts, but one was sent home being told that his legs were too hairy. By the next day, most of the boys were back in regulation pants, but some continued to wear the skirts while the school reevaluates its policy on shorts. The boys still in skirts say they stuck with it because they found them to be more comfortable than pants. If Donald Trump stays put, so will Alec Baldwin. The actor had talked about dropping his role as America's oddest president on Saturday Night Live, but now Baldwin says he'll be back in wig and makeup this fall, pursing his lips, just not as often. Baldwin says he'll keep his appearances to a minimum in both quantity and frequency. A couple of celery sticks, he says, instead of a whole meal. 
Baldwin was among the celebrities roasted recently for a Spike TV show. Roasters included Robert De Niro, Tracy Morgan, and the daughter he once called a thoughtless little pig in a recorded phone call years ago. Quoting daughter Ireland at the roast, he would never say something like that now because I'm 6'2 and would kick his ass. Known to most people as the guy who painted melting clocks, Salvador Dali was an artist for the ages. I'm one of his biggest fans and a member of the Dali Museum in St. Petersburg, Florida. Well, they're digging him up. A 60-year-old tarot card reader from Dali's native Spain has convinced a court she may be Dali's daughter. Her mother was a maid to Mr. and Mrs. Dali, a couple that never had children of their own. Dolly's body, complete with the oversized handlebar mustache, was interred in the Dolly Museum in his Spanish hometown of Figueres. The maid's card-reading daughter accused the Dolly Foundation of trying to keep secret the results of paternity tests that were taken ten years ago. The woman says she looks just like Dolly, saying, I am only missing the mustache. A court has ordered Dolly's body exhumed for DNA testing. There won't be a lot of pomp in these circumstances, at the Advocate District School in Canada's Nova Scotia, the graduating class is small this year. It's class of one. 18-year-old Jordan McIlvery is literally a graduating class of one, alone in his class, alone at the top. There are 59 other students at the school, but Jordan's the only senior. The school says there will be a ceremony complete with a piano rendition of Pomp and Circumstance. There will also be a class valedictorian, Jordan McIlvery. He did, after all, graduate at the top of his class. The school said there will also be a prom. Hopefully Jordan won't be dancing with himself. It was 6.45 a.m. when a Durham, North Carolina man answered his door last Tuesday holding his morning cup of coffee. The man who'd knocked asked for money when the sleepy homeowner answered the door. The homeowner refused to give the stranger any money. The stranger then grabbed the man's cup of coffee, took a sip, complained it was too sweet, and pointed a gun at the man's head. Fortunately, a car drove by at just that moment, and the stranger, frightened, ran away. Durham police had already been investigating a case in which a man was beaten on the head with a gun and forced to go to a convenience store for cigarettes and to get some ATM money. Police believe they have a suspect in those two cases and one other. That suspect now faces charges of robbery with a dangerous weapon, second-degree kidnapping, assault inflicting serious injury, and assault by pointing a gun, felony larceny breaking and entering, obtaining property by false pretense and trespassing. It was that one other case that led to the suspect's arrest. A family of four had been forced at gunpoint to take Roland Anthony Owens Jr. shopping. This couple and their two young kids were forced at gunpoint to go back to the convenience store and the ATM even after the family had given him cash back at their house. And then Roland Anthony Owens Jr. allegedly demanded one more stop, a shopping trip at Target. It was during that time inside Target that a member of the family was able to discreetly tip off an employee who alerted the cop outside in the parking lot. A flight in China was delayed for hours. The passengers had already boarded when they were asked to disembark. Mechanics went to work on the engines. They were looking for coins. An elderly woman, while boarding the plane, had tossed coins into a jet intake. The workers were able to scoop out some of the coins, but they worried that one of them might have gotten into the engine itself, and that would cause catastrophic damage in flight. 
So they opened up the engine, and yes, there was that one last coin which they removed. They sewed her back up, and the plane flew safely to its destination. Having no record or no ill will, the old woman wasn't charged with any crime. China Southern Airlines says she threw the coins into the engine for good luck. And finally, an email alert went out in California last week about a 6.8 magnitude earthquake that happened 92 years ago. Researchers at the California Institute of Technology accidentally fired off the email alert while they were trying to more correctly pinpoint the source location for a quake that killed more than a dozen people in Santa Barbara in 1925. To make the alert even more confusing, it was dated June 29th, 2025. Quoting a Caltech scientist, that's a mistake. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thanks for listening and supporting the shows and sponsors at buzzburbank.com. See you next Thursday for another Buzz Burbank news and comment. Da, 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 da.